Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Good morning. Take your Bibles, if you would, and join with me in 1 Peter chapter 1. Our goal this morning is to finish up those first or the verses 3 through 5, as we've been working away, part 4 this morning of those wonderful verses. The message of 1 Peter is simply this, how to handle suffering as a Christian. And we've been seeing that the way that we handle suffering as a Christian is through hope. God gives us hope in the midst of our suffering. We are learning that suffering offers the believer a chance to show others the generous love of Jesus. In today's passage, we will finish verse 5, as we will look at the great promise of a future salvation that awaits God's elect. So bringing your, your, your attention to the monitors real quick, I want to give you a quick review for maybe for those of you who haven't been able to be here in all four weeks of this. What we want to understand is that he calls us to praise God. And we praise God for three reasons for his mercy. The first one is we praise God for giving us a, a living hope that is based in Christ's triumph over death. It's not a hope that's based on wishful thinking or something that is, is not solid, but it's a hope that is sure. We also praise God, secondly, for, a, for a, an inheritance that is eternal, it is unfading, imperishable, and undefiled. And thirdly, we praise God for a salvation that is secured, and that is where we've been for the last few weeks as we see that our salvation, our inheritance, is secured. It cannot be taken away. And we realize that we should praise the Trinity for His mercy in protecting, praying, and sealing us for the day of redemption. So let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1, 3-5 through 5, for the last time in this series at least, and let's look at what this passage has to tell us. Blessed, Peter writes, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, that's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to again open up your word, to look at this letter of Peter written thousands of years ago, but yet as truthful and relevant to us today as it was to those that received it with joy so long ago. And with the same heart, let us receive this word. Lord, let me speak words that are edifying, that build up. Give us wisdom to be able to discern between my mere opinion and my words of encouragement and what the word really has to say. And Father, we pray that your spirit will have free reign, that we may respond to your word rightly. We thank you for this opportunity again. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. We live, would you agree, in a world of instant gratification? We want things quickly, do we not? We want it now. You know, whether it's microwave popcorn, whether it's microwave oatmeal, whatever it is, we want things now. We don't usually tend nowadays 
to wait for things. We really don't have to. Everything is quick. I mean, you can even get now the VR experience with goggles and everything just so you can experience life and not even have to travel or do anything else. You want it and you want it now. We want things now. Patience is not one of our virtues. We don't want to wait. In preparing for this message, I came across quite a few articles of children who were so impatient waiting for their inheritance from their parents or their grandparents that they would tend to manipulate their parents and going to extreme measures to access their money, houses, and possessions. In other words, they became impatient waiting for their parents to die. And it's quite interesting but yet also sad but that seems to be how we are. We want our inheritance. We want it now. We, do. we don't want to wait for anything. Inheritance is defined as a transfer of property and possessions from one generation to another, usually within a family. When Peter speaks of the inheritance, that we, we have an inheritance that's unfading and perishable, in this context, he's referring to our salvation. It's an inheritance that's shared with Jesus Christ, the true heir, and we as his brothers and sisters receive it along with him. But God's mercy, he has given us, those of us who were once disobedient children, who were children of, uh, of, of wrath, He has given us an inheritance, as we saw in this passage, that is secured, yet it's not yet fully realized. And for many people, when they think of salvation, they think of something that was past. I have been saved. And that would be a true statement. We have salvation, but yet they don't always realize or think of the salvation that is yet to come. In verse 5b, we're now coming now to the end of this passage. Peter writes, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's what we're looking at today. For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, Peter here is stressing that there is a wait. There is a delay in our full redemption. Now, this is difficult. This is sometimes hard to understand or to deal with. We have many, mentioned many times that Christians have been saved from the penalty of, uh, penalty of sin, right? Christ died that we may be saved from the penalty of sin. And we've seen that we've been, dev- uh, been saved from the power of sin. The works of Satan have been uh, defeated. We now can choose not to sin, not that we can be sinless in perfection, but yet now we can engage and live out the Spirit and walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But the one thing that we're still waiting to be saved from is what? It's from the presence of sin. And each and every one of us know that our lives are still tainted by sin. We struggle with it. We fight with it. That's the suffering of the Christian life today. And I have shared with you many times, my longing, my groaning in my life is that desire to be released from the presence of sin in my life. I will admit to you that I am exhausted at times fighting my own sin and keeping my heart pure and my mind clear. When I think of Philippians 4.8, I was thinking of that this morning. Whatsoever things are true and lovely, pure of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, it says think on these things. That is exhausting. Amen? 
That is difficult to do. But yet, that's the suffering of the Christian life. Peter goes on to say that our reward for believing that God exists and seeks him is a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That means that our salvation has a past, a present, and a future reality, a future benefit. The confident trust that you and I are to have as professing Christians is that God will be faithful to his promise to deliver us from the presence of sin, to give us eternal life, and to be with us. But here we are to thank God and praise God for a mercy that has given us a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last times. Jesus promised his disciples in John chapter 14 as you bring your attention to the monitors. Jesus promised his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Or is Jesus, do you think I would tell you this if it's not true? And if I go and prepare a place for you, Jesus says, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Now this is a wonderful, wonderful promise that you and I need to cling to. That you and I need to bring it to the forefront of our minds and to the forefront of our hearts when we feel discouraged. We are not abandoned orphans, but children waiting for a glorious inheritance. Jesus is preparing a place for his spiritual brothers and sisters. He promises to come back for us and to bring us to where we belong. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to 2 Corinthians. And we see this in Paul's writing. This promise is reflected in Paul's second letter to the church of Corinth. Again, God is calling us to trust him that he will grant us final salvation from sin. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 1. Paul writing to that church of Corinth that is struggling with these very things. They were a carnal church. They were a fleshly church. They had a difficulty in maintaining a pure lifestyle and pure worship. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if the tent, speaking of our earthly home, is destroyed, speaking of our body, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our dwell, heavenly dwelling. If indeed on, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. In other words, that we would have something better to put on, something that would reflect who we are. So that the mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guaranteed. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Scripture here is calling us to always be of good courage, especially during suffering. Now you would say, I think you would agree with me, that that's very difficult to be. It doesn't matter what your suffering may be. It may be suffering from the, the effects of sin in your life, the consequences, the Constant fighting and trying to protect yourself from 
the wiles of the devil, the darts of the devil. It may be the fact that you're struggling financially. Maybe the suffering is coming through relationships. You and your spouse are struggling in your marriage. Maybe it's between uh, parents and adults or children. Uh, it could be in your work. The suffering, though, is real. He tells us, though, do not be lacking courage, but always of good courage, trusting that God will do as he says. Paul confirms what we all realize that we are burdened while living in this body and in this world. Yet there is a hope of a better life. That's the promise. That hope is meant to encourage and to strengthen us in our daily cross-bearing walk. Now we see this in in Revelation chapter 21. Turn, if you would, with me, please, to Revelation chapter 21. As we continue to get this picture of what God is preparing for us. Revelation chapter 21, the last book of the Bible and almost the last chapter. You may be quicker to start from the back and move then. But in Revelation 21, we realize that though we must live in this world as exiles, in a world that is hostile to our faith, enduring suffering and persecution, we have a promise of God that one day it will end. Our God will be with us, and we're to be of good courage. Look at Revelation chapter 21, that first verse. John is writing here near the end of his vision, and this is what he sees. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It is prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from, home, from the throne saying this, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. Now right there, you need to underline that passage. That is Emmanuel. That is God with us. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is wonderful news. This is the inheritance that you and I are set to receive when Christ returns. But look at verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down for these words. And look at this, underline it, circle it. These words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning, the end. To the thirsty, I will give the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But here's the warning for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexual immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, the liars, the portion, their portion will be in a lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You and I have an inheritance that is not yet fully realized, but is being kept and guarded for us. Yet as wonderful And as uplifting this promise can be and is, we realize that it is not yet here. Now, church is a wonderful shadow of it. 
This should be a place in which we come as Christians and with a covenant uh, love that we have for one another, we we are experiencing just a shadow, just a taste of what heaven will be like as we worship in prayer and song and in, in listening to God's word and getting to know him and encouraging and serving one another. But it's not yet been fully revealed. First John 3 tells us that we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. There is a promise that you and I, that's the living hope, the confident expectation that we shall be like him. So until that day when Christ returns or in death, you and I must understand that life will be full of struggles, of pain and suffering. Now that may be different from others. We do not suffer as many other Christians in the world. We are not suffering martyrdom. We are not suffering the persecution that many others do. But yet your suffering is just as real. Just the struggle with sin is a suffering. Because Christians are cross-bearing people. That is not just some symbol that wraps around your neck or something that's a nice uh, adornment or some type of bumper sticker. But that is a, a symbol of execution, of extreme torture that you and I are called to bear. So the question is, how do you and I continue in a life that is difficult, if we've been called to that? How do you and I continue in a life that is painful? And some of you might be experiencing this, how do you live in a life that's unbearable? For some of you today may be saying, this is what my life is. It's painful. The struggle is difficult, or maybe because of pain or some physical disability, it's unbearable. How do we continue to wake up each day and fight sin, afraid that we may never gain the victory, maybe even doubting our salvation, struggling with understanding what faith is? How do we, how do we, how do we gain victory in that? How are we to always be of good courage? When it seems like our times of respite are few. I shared with the men a couple of weeks ago just to be how I shouldn't share these types of things with you, but I'll share them just to let you know your pastor has the same struggle. You know, many times when I am fighting with sin, sleep is my only respite. Let me just fall asleep so I don't have to fight with disappointment, so I don't have to fight with discouragement, so I don't have to fight with sin. But I will have to tell you that there are many times when I look for that and that's my way of dealing with trying to get away. But then even my own sleep, my mind in sleep winds up betraying me and I wind up having a dream that leads me into places that I don't want to go and will say no more. So even sleep many times leads me into a a, a sin that not that I wanted to, to commit, but one that just happens because my mind My flesh is still affected with sin. So I find myself waking up saying, Lord, why did I dream that? I never would have desired to dream that. I would never thought to dream that. Oh, how I learned to stop fighting that. When I can just be with God. 
And I'm delivered from that presence of sin. That's my struggle. That's my suffering. It's real and it's painful. Why do so many professing Christians lose hope and begin to doubt God? Why do we say to those who struggle, what do we say to those who are struggling with this? What do we say to you today if you're here and say, I love God, but yet life is just so much suffering? Whether it's because of social issues or maybe it's just uh, economic issues that God has given you this life to live in. It's just one day just putting food on the table. What do you say to someone that says, listen, you have a living hope. You have a salvation. God will heal you. But yet it's not today. How do you do that? What do you say? How do you even face tomorrow knowing that there may not be any different than today? Scripture tells us that we must not join the scoffers who say, where is the promise of his coming? For all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Like those who said that in Peter's time, you and I must realize that we must not lose heart and succumb to the world's pull. But that salvation ready to be revealed to many of us seems so far away. 2,000 years we are still waiting for that salvation to be fully realized. Rosera Butterfield, I need to bring her books out. She has written two books. She was a liberal feminist lesbian who came to know Christ through some miraculous situations. And she has wrote two wonderful books. And her last book was really a great book on sanctification, how to become more like Christ. And it was about how to deal with, with indwelling sin or that sin that besets you when your mind is still struggling with many things. In her book, she's contemplating this very thing of fighting sin. And she wonders, how do we deal with life when it is full of suffering? She expresses concern in her book that as soon as I read it, it jumped up at me and said, this is what I believe many of us struggle with. She expresses concern that our hope that is deferred, our living hope, the hope of our inheritance, because it's deferred, it's delayed, we have to wait. Her concern is that our hope deferred doesn't lead to disillusionment and abandonment of the faith. In other words, how can you and I be hopeful? How can you and I stand in faith? How can you and I continually to pick up our cross daily when salvation seems so far away? Every day is the same, and it doesn't seem as if Christ is returning. The problem that I see is that many have become disillusioned Doubtful and discouraged, waiting for the return of Christ and the receiving of their inheritance. You and I must not be like children just waiting for their parents to die so that we can consume that inheritance. It is a wonderful thing that we have, but yet we cannot lose hope as we continue to wait for the revealing. So I want to give you two challenges, if I may. If you're taking notes, here's the two challenges. Number one, do not doubt God's word. Don't doubt God's word. Let me tell you, to always be of good courage means to keep your eyes on the prize. 
the writer of Hebrews, when he writes about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, he writes this. He tells us in chapter 11 about these heroes of the faith who stood firm in the midst of struggles and immersed uh, persecution and even death. He says, all of these died in faith, not having received the things that were promised to them. They continued day in and day out, generation after generation, never receiving the promise that was given to them. But having seen them and greeting them from afar, knowing that it's there, accepting that inheritance, knowing that it will one day come, he says, and after acknowledge that they were strangers and exiles here on earth, just as you and I are, as Peter tells us, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. You and I are to be seeking a homeland that is eternal. That is our desire. He tells us our world is not this home, but we have a home that is much wonderful. It says of them, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, speaking of Exodus, or even of the promised land that they were in at the time, they would have opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Even those who were given the promised land realized that that was just a shadow of something else. Because it says here that they desired a heavenly one. One they knew that could not be taken away. One they knew that they didn't have to fight Philistines and Amorites and all the others day in and day year, year out and year in. Therefore, it says, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. The same city that he's preparing for you and I. That new Jerusalem that will come from heaven. They were looking for a better country. They were looking for a better one. And this is the same attitude that Paul had when he wrote to the Philippians. When he says, I count everything that I have gained, I have counted as loss. Because of the surpassing wealth or worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And let me ask you, do you see your salvation as more important, as with more gain than anything that you can get in this world? For this sake, or for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish, as garbage, in order that I might gain Christ. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He's speaking there of a heavenly inheritance. He says everything that is in this world, all the suffering, everything is worth it if I can obtain that wonderful inheritance. That was his hope. This inheritance was on his mind when he wrote, One thing I do, I forget what lies behind, and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. That those of us who are mature think this way, and I speak to you the same way. For those of us that have professed Christ, that have repented of dead works and turned and put our trust in Christ, it is time for us to think in the same manner. And if you, in any way you think otherwise, God will reveal that. Our prayer is, Father, help us to see in what area am I holding on to this world? In which way am I hanging on to something that is perishable and defiled and tainted? We're to keep our eyes not on this world, but on the internal. 
Paul writes to the church of Colossae. He says, if you then have been raised with Christ, speaking of those who are, who are the elect children of God, he says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He says, set your mind on the things above, not on things here on the earth. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Let me ask you this. Is Christ your life? You understand that phrase? Give me an example. You know, when you're married, your wife, your spouse becomes everything to you. And then when our children come, they are, every, they are your life. You live for them. You desire to be with them. Now, I have the privilege of being a, grand, a grandfather. And a grandson. I was going to say grandson, but a grandfather. And little Landon, he is my life. I long to see him. I want to spend time with him. I can't wait to see his smile. I can't wait to, to hug him when he's hurting. And, and I can't wait to when he's older and we can really play ball together and, and do all these wonderful things. He truly is my life. But yet, if he becomes the life, the one that I truly look for, the one I find my pleasure in, if he becomes my security blanket, so to speak, then I've lost my focus on the one that truly is. I'm looking at the wrong inheritance. My hope is based on something less. Don't doubt God's word, but keep your eyes on the prize. The second thing is we see is not only doubt God, don't doubt God's word, but this is what you and I need to do, is you cannot, you cannot let disillusionment, you cannot let discouragement or desperation lead you. Now listen to this and follow my train of thought if we can. Is lead us to trade in our inheritance. Sadly, many people who profess Christ are at first on fire for God. Have you ever met one like that? I met a man, I remember when I was young, and this guy got saved, and man, he was up forward, up front, all the time giving testimonies. He was Jesus this, and God bless this, praying for you, and he was on fire, but eventually there came a time when you never saw him again. What happened? He flamed out, he burnt out. They press Christ, they're first on fire for God, but yet after time they begin to drift away. The Christian life becomes too hard for them or they are too enamored with this world and all it has to offer. Jesus describes this phenomenon in the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13 when he says, talking about the seed that was thrown, he says, as for the seed that was thrown on the rocky ground. He says, that's the one who hears the word of God and immediately receives it with joy, yet it has no root in himself, but he endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the world, they immediately fall away. As for that which was thrown among the thorns, speaking of the seeds, this is the one who hears the word of God, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Paul lamented that one of his co-laborers in the gospel, Demas, had fell in love with this present world and has deserted me. John wrote to his readers in 1 John, he says, Do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. 
For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You and I must understand this. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, it is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. And whoever does the will of God abides forever. Their inheritance is forever. Children, it is this last hour he's speaking to Christians. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that is the last hour. They went out from us. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, and it might be complained that they were not of us. I challenge you, because there's many here today, not many, but some, that you may be professing Christ, but the struggle, the suffering, the pain has caused you to become disillusioned discouraged, or even desperate. And you're in danger of walking away from the faith. Because either the cares of this world or the persecution and things of that are showing that you truly were never one of Christ. The other dangerous area is confusing this age with the next. And this is what I mean with trading one inheritance for another. Professing Christians exchange heaven for a foolish belief that God will make this life full of butterflies and unicorns. That the Christian life is nothing but a bed of roses. If you give, if you do this, then God will fully bless you. And, and just speaking of the prosperity, health, and wealth, we see that error, that it's, it's a heresy that is damaging and sending people to hell. But I have to tell you that many times in speaking with Christians, even from this church, that sometimes... That type of philosophy finds itself in our thinking. If we give a little bit more, God will bless. If you become a Christian, your life will be better. Now, some of those things, yes, are true. There are some promises. But let me tell you, ask Peter and Paul. Let's ask Matthew and, and James. Is, was, how much was their physical life better? They all died for the faith. Now, it's better to die for the faith than enjoy the things of the world is what we're saying here. And I want to be careful. It's not that God loves you and has a wonderful plan in your life. It's that all things work together for good to those that love Christ. That includes cross-bearing. It may be included being crucified on a cross. I think of many people who exchanged heaven for the quick instant gratification for the things of the world. That can't wait for the blessings of God. They can't wait for the promises of God. I think of, I think of singles who are too tired and, and, and of waiting and can't wait any longer for God to provide them a spouse so they begin sleeping around or cohabitating and living a life and looking for love in someone else instead of the person of Christ. I think of someone that's looking from waiting for financial prosperity but gives up on the promises of God and begin to cheat and embezzle and steal. Looking for quick fixes. Professing Christians who seek entertainment and fulfillment outside of God's will. A man who has an affair because his wife is cold to him or looks to pornography. We trade the inheritance of things for God for the things here on earth. 
It's like one of those quick loans. We think, well, I'll, I'll just go get one of those things and so I can enjoy life now instead of waiting for something that is better. And all we do is we find ourselves always in further debt. And as we take that false fruit, we find out that it was rotten and bitter and no good. And so I want to encourage you as Christians, for those who profess Christ, do not become disillusioned. Do not turn in your inheritance for the things of this world. This error leads to many abandoning the faith or becoming discouraged when life is difficult and hard. God does not give us a good thing. God, uh, excuse me, uh, when life is difficult and hard, when, when God does give us good things, it tells us that he does supply all of our needs. He, he gives us comfort. He wants us to enjoy all that life has given us now. But Dr. John MacArthur writes, contrary to what is popular today, even in religious circles, he writes, even in quote-unquote religion circles, even the name of Jesus the Lord is not promising you here and now a full, rich, happy, satisfying, trouble-free life of health, wealth, and success. We must understand that. He does promise that we will be full and rich and satisfying. He does promise that we'll be a, 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 we'll be tr our life will be a trouble-free and there will be health and wealth and absolute joy and peace and perfection, but not now. That promise for healing, that promise for financial prosperity or supplying all of our needs for eternity is an eternity. In this life, trouble and persecution, rejection, difficulty, trials and temptations, pains, suffering, sorrow, sickness, even physical death, we are still under that curse of sin. And because we trade in the Christian inheritance for something that is failing, many are, elite, are abandoning the faith are becoming so discouraged and paralyzed that they're not seeing the full life that God has for them, even in the midst of these things. See, God desires for his people to be happy and to enjoy the life he has given us, even here on this earth. Yet the source of that joy is not in the gifts that God has given us, but in God himself. Your spouse is, not, is just a gift of God. It is not the gift. It is not the source of joy. Your children are not the source of your joy or grandchildren or your retirement or your job or your career or your home. The wonderful truth about heaven is not that life is wonderful with no pain and no suffering, but that God will be there. Too many times we think of heaven as a place of our dreams where we can experience all the things that bring us pleasure here on earth. Hence why many are finding themselves disillusioned. That life in heaven is only like life here, just heightened. The fish will always be biting. The drive off the golf tee will always be straight. The birds are singing prettier. The colors are brighter and so on and so forth. Paul will tell the Christians at Ephesus, do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation of the knowledge in him. You and I need to pray that prayer. Lord, give us your knowledge. Reveal to us your truth and your promises. Let us see you clearly. He says that your eyes and hearts may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? 
And what is the immeasurable greatness of a power towards us who believe? So don't let the difficulties and the pressures of this life cause you to keep your eyes away from God. Do not trade in your inheritance for an instant gratification. But as we see, one of the reasons for suffering is to bring endurance, and endurance to bring patience, that we may look towards the things of God. Let us praise God for his immeasurable greatness while we patiently wait for an inheritance that will one day be revealed. Hence why I would say that the Bible tells us, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves as some do, but even more so be together as the day approaches. Encourage one another. Until then, let's embrace the words of Paul to Titus. If you turn to the monitors, Paul says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly in this present world while waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself to us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. One day sin will be eradicated in its fullness in my whole being. Until that day, I am to pick up my cross and to follow him. The answer to keep a disillusionment at bay is, simply to, is simple to say, but it can be difficult and hard to live out. I understand that. You and I must rest in the truths of Scripture. We must remember that God's power, the full power of the Trinity, is actively engaging in our salvation. We're to remember the wonderful mercy of God in causing us to be born again. That's how Peter starts out. We praise God for His glorious mercy. Paul encourages us in Galatians 6, 9, Do not be weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we not give up. If you're here this morning and you seem to be out of breath and you're on your last legs, do not give up. Trust in the promises of God. He has an inheritance that is wonderful. It may not be fully realized here on earth, but keep your eyes on that which is true. God is keeping and guarding his, our salvation. We are his children. The words kept and guarded remind me of the mandate that God gave Adam in the book of Genesis. As you may recall in our study, that God would, told Adam that he was to keep and guard the Garden of Eden. He failed. However, Jesus, the second Adam, succeeds where the first Adam failed. No matter the type of no matter the, the, the type or the amount of suffering that life brings you, we cannot lose our salvation. Though suffering can rob you of your happiness, it can rob you of your money and your relationships and your health and even your life, it cannot take your soul. Once again to the monitor, let me leave you with this last verse that's found in Philippians. When God promises this, I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Do not falter. Be encouraged. We do that by praising God for his great mercy, for securing and keeping us for a salvation that will be re revealed in the last days. He tells us it's ready. It's ready 
It's ready, and it's going to be revealed. We should praise God for a salvation that is being kept and guarded for us and pray that he will strengthen us to that day when we are united with Christ. With every head bowed, ask the worship team to make, quietly make their way up. As we just take a moment to pause, to consider, to pray, and to respond to the Holy Spirit. To believers that are here this morning, I pray that you would find courage and hope as one who has received mercy. I would call you to praise God even in your struggles and that you remember that you have been chosen and exiled for the glory of God. Hold on to that hope that God is for us and that all things work together for good to those that are called according to his purpose. Fix your eyes on the promise of God. Live as if Jesus is returning. For those of you here this morning, those believers that are struggling, you may be faltering, you may be on that last breath, do not despair. Remember that you are protected by the power of God and that this world, this life is not our final home. One day God will bring justice. He will bring righteousness and healing. One day God will make all things new and you and I will be finally home and our journey will be finished. But then let me say to a word to those of you who do not yet know Christ. You have not repented of your sin and turned towards Christ. You have not yet called him Savior. You cannot lose what you never had. You do not have the mercy of God as of yet. You cannot have hope if you do not have Christ. Allow me to use the words of Jonathan Edwards in his great sermon, Sinners in the Hands of God, when he says, O sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. It is a great furnace of wrath, a wide and bottomless pit, full of the fire of wrath that you are held over in the hand of God, whose wrath is provoked and incensed as much against you as against many of the damned in hell. He says you are, you are hanging by a slender thread with flames of divine wrath flashing about it and ready every moment to singe it and burn it asunder. You have no interest in any mediator and nothing to lay hold of yourself to save. There's nothing that you have to keep off the flames of fire, nothing of your own, nothing that you've ever done, nothing that you can do to induce God to spare you one moment. You have no mercy. You cannot praise God. I pray that God may open your heart to the truth of Scripture and the promise throughout God. I pray that you will trust God when He promises that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you do so this morning so that you may receive the mercy of God that he desires to give you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. And I pray that you would do the work that you have designed and ordained this morning. May your word find root. May it not just drift off our mind, but Lord, may it now permeate our minds and our hearts. Help us to dwell on this word this morning. Let us... Ask these difficult questions. Let us seek your answers. Let us evaluate our hearts and test and examine to see if we're of the faith. Encourage those who need courage. Strengthen those who need strength. And open the eyes of those that may be blind that we may praise you for your great mercy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. 
We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.